Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. For about four or five years, and you know, my, my family call, call my hobbies my obsessions. And I've had lots of obsessions over the years. I've had an obsession with Volkswagens, Combis and Beetles. I had an obsession with photography and landscape photography. And some of you may have bought cards off me when I did photos on cards. I was obsessed with photography. And um, about four or five years ago, I, I came across this hobby which was doing up mid-century furniture. And here's two examples. And I'm, you're going to say, well, what's this got to do with the greatest gift? Well, let me weave that into my sermon. Um, uh, but before I do that, before I come to this, um, I just have a word for people here this morning. Um, and it's for those of you going through a hard time. Uh, as I was sitting there this morning, uh, the Lord uh, reminded me of a story that was told by Glenn Cochran from um, Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, I think it was no, Open Doors or Voice of the Martyrs. I can't remember which one of those it was. I think it was open doors, and he had just come back from Syria, where he was had shared with a Syrian pastor who had said to him, "Go back to the church in Australia and tell them, do not ask God for the persecution to stop, but that God would increase our faith, come through the persecution, and continue to witness His light and salt to the people, because from his perspective, the persecution." was working the opposite, it was actually drawing more people to Jesus. And he had people coming to him in, during the day and asking to be baptised because at night they'd had a dream and Jesus revealed the gospel to them and they said, I've become a Christian, please baptise me. And during that, uh, Glenn was talking about that, I don't know if you remember this story, but he talked about the fact that at that time ISIS was going throughout Syria and threatening Christians, who they found out who the Christians were, and they were going up to their children and their wives, and they say, recant and give your allegiance to Muhammad and to Allah, otherwise we will shoot your wife or your children in the head. And many people, many Christians, lost their wife, their children, and them, their own lives, because ISIS just shot them dead. And this was going throughout the country. And the Lord came upon him one day, and um, it started... Um, with his children he became very fearful of losing his children now right now there there is a spirit of fear and anger at work in the earth especially i see it in australia i know you fearing it i know you seeing it there is a fear of people getting sick and dying from covid and there is an anger about the fact that we can't control what's happening around us and then so people do double up on precautionary things to protect themselves from things that they can't control. And then they get angry and frustrated at a whole bunch of things. Are you feeling this? Some of you might be experiencing this. Um, but this guy uh, faced the reality that one day an ISIS, uh, a member of ISIS would come into his house because they were going from door to door and they were checking, they were doing a statement um, from people to say Allah Akbar, uh, Muhammad is his prophet and they had to say it and if you didn't then they would shoot you. Anyway, the Lord came upon him with a great sense of um, 
conviction and said, will you lay down your children? Will you give them to me? And he said, um, the story goes that it took him two days as he wrestled with this idea of letting go, letting go of his children to the most loving person in the universe. And I think this is this idea that if I hold on to things, that I can control them. Somehow, if, 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 I, you know, if I want something strong enough, then I can control it. But God wants to point out to all of us, you actually don't have control over a life or death. We all die. And your life, my life, I don't know how long I live and I don't know how long you will live. What I do know is I can control my life or God can control my life and we get to choose. So it took him two days to surrender his children. He, he, he went through grief over it. It was like they were dying. And he, he was, because it was such a struggle for him to, to let go of that God in his sovereignty might allow his children to be taken. But he let go and he got to that place in his heart where he could say, God, you're a good God. And in life or death, you are still good. Doesn't matter how my children die, I'm going to give them to you. And he was he got to that place and great peace came upon his heart and but there was a great guilt, a, a great uh, trauma of grief that he went through. So he got over that, that was good, and then the Lord said, Now your wife. Will you give her to me? And that was even harder. And I just, it, what happened was is that he, he went through, he doubled down on his grief. He doubled down on the depths that God was taking him to surrender what he, what he thought was his. And he recognised that his wife, his children were actually not his and that he could not control them and that they were God's and he surrendered his wife. Fortunately, in God's economy, they never experienced the gun at their head. They went close, but they never experienced that. But he went through a deep, deep surrender that allowed God to use him even more because you cannot kill a dead man. And a dead man can't control anything. So here's the word of the Lord to you this morning before I get to the word of the Lord for you this morning. What are you holding on to? What have you not offered to God that he wants you to let go of? Because you can't control it anyway. I want you to get your hands, just close your eyes. And say, God, whether it be now or in the future, in the next day or so, whatever, I want to... I want to come before you like Abraham with Isaac and I want to know that you are good and that you are God and I want to be able to lay down which I can't control the very things that are the most precious to me but are far more precious to you I want to live a surrendered life holding nothing back from you, true worship. And we know 
From the story of Jesus, the father asked Abraham to lay down his only son. And then God backed it up by saying, I lay down my only son and he died. Thank you, Jesus. These are two examples of uh, mid-century furniture, two very different examples. This is made by an Australian guy called Gerald Easton and this, got, this one was made by an English guy. Actually, he was Italian. Uh, his name was uh, Lucien Ercolini. Very Italian. Any Italians in the house? No Italians, come on. I, man, there are so many. Oh, I grew up with so many Italians in the house. Um, where, I, where I came from, there's lots of Italians. Um, and Italians are the precious part of the immigration of Australia. And um, but this one, I want to tell you a story about this one. Uh, this is actually qu quite a, a different design. This is actually a combination of mid-century um, design uh, and country design. This is made in the UK and designed in the UK by a guy called Lucian. And I did a bit of history on him and What's interesting is that his dad in the 1800s uh, got converted by the Salvation Army. I just don't equate Salvation Army and Italy together. And he became a lay preacher in, the, in, the, um, in Italy. And he went around um, sharing the good news with people in Italy. But in Italy, they believe anybody who's not Roman Catholic is demonic. So he was, his dad was a furniture maker and um, they actually, the people of his town actually ransacked his uh, furniture shop and threw all his tools and all his furniture into the river and ran the family out of the town. That was 1894. Uh, so Lucian, uh, the Salvation Army, because of the great persecution that broke out against his family, they actually, the Salvation Army, which came from England, took them and repatriated them to the UK to protect them from that persecution. And Lucian grew up uh, playing in a Salvation Army band. And um, Lucian went through college and uh, he start, decided to study furniture and his brand became a very big brand. It's called Urkel. And this particular chair has actually got a, Urkel stamp. It was made in 1969. Um, I'm a 60s kid, so it's unbelievably, amazingly sturdy and yet incredibly light. And um, it's not my favourite design of mid-century, but it's made with two types of timber. It's made from beech and ash. And why am I telling you this story? Not because I, Michelle's going, get on with it more. Well... <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> Honestly, you don't want to know. It's well, mid-century's gone crazy. But see, I got into this, and I fell into it. It was a hobby, and God has blessed me through that. But I found out a whole bunch of stuff that you go, yeah. But I'll, my point is this: I know that that's made by Urkel, and I know that that's made by Gerald Eason simply because I look at the characteristics of the design and I can see the designer. And then I don't even have to see the label to know that's Urkel and this is Gerald Easton because I've studied it, because I've looked at it and I can see a picture of it and I can look at that and I can see the features that I like and see the features that I don't like. And 
The thing about this, where we're going to read, and we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, is that we are God's workmanship. This chair was made, um, Urkel designed it. He was, had a very simple, because he was Salvation Army and he had a Quaker influence through that, it was like a Quaker chair. And Quakers were into really simple things, structurally sound and just simplicity that looked good. It wasn't meant to be fancy and Urkel took on that, some of those characteristics and all his furniture is made like that. But this chair reminded me of God. You see, this chair is 60 years old and this chair was, this stool was an absolute wreck when I, when I bought it and it's come up looking pretty nice and needs a little bit more work. But this is the heart that God's given me. You see, God helps me to see something that's broken it's fallen apart, but I look at it and I go, I can see what that could become. And that's a heart that God's placed in every one of us. But he's, he's, he's given me it through furniture to look at something and go, oh, wow, this, it just looks like a wreck. And this was actually in pieces when I got it. And I just put it all back together and put some oil on it. I've got some work to do on it. But you know what? Ephesians chapter 2 is all about how God's put his heart in us. We've got to read that. Let's, let's go back over last week. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. Thanks, Caleb. It's there. It's not on the back. All right. Um, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul begins this chapter by talking about who we were and what we were doing. All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is a picture of what we were. He's talking to a church. He's talking to a whole bunch of Christians and he's talking about this is what we all were like. And everybody's going, yeah. But because... This is, the, this is the little moment, and Graham loves this, but because of his great love for us. This comes down to who God is and what he's done. Who God is, what he's done. Starts off by who we are, what we, what we were doing, and then it says, but because. It's this moment of transition, as in, in sport, they call it that pivot. God pivots. He changes us. He pivots and says, but because of his great love for, for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And remember I said to you last week, a sin is where you miss the mark. There's a mark and you miss the target to an archery term. And transgression is a line that you cross if you trespass. You cross a line that shouldn't be crossed and you do something or you... You don't go where, somewhere where you should go. You, you, you go on your own. But you were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your spirit. We were not alive. We were dead. I said, said to you it was like the walking dead. You're physically alive, but spiritually you're dead. You've got breath. You've got blood. You've got thoughts. But you are dead to God. Why? Because your whole nature is sort of stuck in this rut of thinking, I want to do my thing, not God's thing. And then this thing happened. 
So if we go back there, and I'll read that again, but God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And then he says, it's by grace that you have been saved. That word grace, charis, is the Greek word which we get the word charity. God's great kindness, mercy and love for you comes not because you're good, because you deserve it, but because of his charity to us. Charity is where you give something to someone out of the goodness of your heart. They neither deserve it or have earned it. It's this gift. It's a gift. It's by grace you've been saved. We live in a world where people don't realise they need to be saved. Why? They don't see that there's a problem. Somehow in their head they figure out that when they die, they'll be able to do a deal with God. Or that they'll be good enough. The Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther and the Protestant reformers after Luther came upon this idea that we are saved by faith, by grace through faith. This idea that was present in the years prior to that, that had come back into the church, was this idea of Pharisaism that said that you could actually achieve um, purity and holiness with God by your efforts, by your work. And the Protestant reformers had this revelation, this inspiration from the Holy Spirit as they, the, the Bible went into print around the same time. And they started to read the Bible and the church had the Bible locked up, the, the institutional church. Nobody had a copy of the Bible. It was only the church that had the Bible. But it went out into the masses and they start reading Romans and they start reading Ephesians and going, whoa. And someone started explaining Ephesians chapter 2 is by grace you are saved. It is a gift of God. Paul goes on, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We're going to come back to that. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. And the reformers grabbed hold of that and said, we can't be good enough. It's not by our trying and our effort that makes us right with God. It's God that makes us right with God. And that's good news. And that is a great gift. It's the gift of God. It's not by works and that no one can boast. No one can boast and no one can say, I'm not good enough. There's two sides. You can either think you are good enough or you can think I'm so bad that God could never take me on. And either way, you're trying to control the agenda. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're going to come back to that. I just want to go back to verse um, 6. When Jesus saved us, he did this thing. He put his stamp on us. And we became children of God. And we become sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we became princes and princesses in his royal court. 
when this Paul's talking about God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, he's talking about not necessarily right now physical presence, you're seated with Jesus, but there is a place in the spiritual hierarchy where God places you next to Jesus and that basically means you have been given authority, royal seal. You are now part of his kingdom's court and that affects your life on earth now. Even though I'm physically present here, there's a spiritual connection that I have with Jesus where he sits and rules and reigns with his father at his father's right hand. This is this weird thing about the spiritual connection I have with Jesus and you have with Jesus. I am seated, you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's pretty crazy, right? What does that mean? Well, the reason that Jesus did that was so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Who to? He's going to show his incomparable riches of his grace and his kindness expressing. Who's he going to show it through? God had this idea. I'm going to sit them at my right hand and I'm going to, uh, in the coming ages, that's now and in the future, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Who's he going to show that to? To us and to who else? Everybody else. You and I have been seated at Jesus' right hand for this purpose, that Jesus gets to show us off. See my chair? I made that. It's got my seal on it. It's got all the design features on it. You see, when Jesus saved me, he didn't just save me and say, I'll see you in heaven. He saved me and says, now I've recreated you. You are a new creation and I've put my seal on you and I've got my design in you. Now go and use that design for my purpose. He says, not by works, that's talking about that, but for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Do you know what? I know that this is made by Urkel because it's got all the design features in it that Urkel, it's got a stamp, but even if it didn't have a stamp, I could say that's Urkel. When you look at me and when I look at you and when I see Jesus in you and you see Jesus in me, what, what you get to see, what people get to see is God's work in you, his handiwork. We are God's handiwork. Or in the older translations, it says workmanship. And let me tell you, you are a piece of work. <laughs> you, no, 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 that's in a bad way. <laughs> you are a masterpiece. Piece of work didn't work, did it? <laughs> but in a good way, you are a piece of work that reflects the master's hand, the master's design. Everything that works, everything is designed. You know what? There is not one like you. Now, there was hundreds and thousands of these chairs produced, but each one has got a unique grain. Each one's slightly different. 
Each one's unique, but it has that same design, just like you. Do you know uh, God has placed you in a house, in a suburb, given you a job, a career, skills, given you a personality? He placed you where I'll never be. You know people I'll never know. You've got experiences I'll never have. He's put all that together and then in Christ, he said, I've saved you for a divine purpose. I put my stamp of approval on you. You are no longer guilty. You are saved, it's a gift. But I'm saving you for a divine purpose. See, in this chapter, you've got the, the works that we did before we knew Jesus. Then you've got the pivot where God comes in through his son and he does this work of saving us. And then he says, but the reason I saved you is so that you might do good works. Not to save you, but because you're saved. The things that we get to do are a privilege and an honour in the name of Jesus. Living our lives every day. What did Jesus say? The works that I do, I, I do. Um, the works I do, uh, it's gone... I only do the works that, yeah, no, that's not the one. Moving on. It'll come to me. Good works. Jesus, uh, dis- descri- oh, t- the works of God is to believe in the, the one who sent me. Right? Jesus starts with faith. What does faith look like? Well, it looks like this. I have a picture in my mind that I have been given authority. I have the seal and I'm seeding with Jesus and he goes son I placed you here so that you might know my heart because you're right next to me and when you're in prayer and when you're living your life day by day in the presence and Richard the presence the prominence and the preeminence when you are living your life I don't want you to think like you used to do when you were living in the world and you live for yourself, and you lived according to the ruler of the prince of the air, this is how I want you to live right now. You're a child of the Most High God. You're in the royal court. You get to hear my heart. You get to be led by my spirit. And you are seated with me right now. And so when you are with me, I will tell you the secrets in my heart, and I will reveal my plans and my purposes for the things that I want done on the earth. You know... This is a hobby, but this is part of God's joy in my life, expressing himself through me. What happens if we started to see our life more or less about what is spiritual and that which is physical, and we started to worship God with all that we have? Can I worship God through my hobby of mid-century furniture? Can you worship God through your vocation? If I start to see myself as being given the authority to move in all things, because Jesus is in all things, then he wants to go where he wants me to take his authority and apply it. See, he wants to change the atmosphere wherever I am in his name, what I, whatever I do. This is an incredible privilege. I get to go to the shops with Jesus, Richard. See, 
got to go to the toy aisle. Enjoy being a kid again. And while we're doing that, while we're living a life with the Spirit, leading by the Spirit, recognising and not forgetting that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places and that I am his workmanship. He recreated me for good works in Christ. And I love the part that says, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Now, God knows your future, right? I think God prepares opportunities for us to walk into. And we get to choose whether we do or not. I can close my eyes and run into a brick wall. Or I can open my eyes and walk through a door. I get to choose. I get to choose whether I want to think like I did before I was a Christian and think that I do not have authority and that I have no place or position and that I don't have a divine purpose on my life that God says every day when you wake up, you have a divine purpose and that is to see me at work in your life, in the life of people around you. And if you are alert to my spirit, then I will do good works through you because I've got lots and lots of things prepared for you to do and they're all good. Because everything that God does is good, right? What is the greatest gift? Well, we already know the answer. The greatest gift is Jesus, but because... God who is rich in mercy and out of his great love by grace you are saved. So now what? Well, it doesn't stop you were saved. He says, now you're my, I've placed you in this high place and I've given you a, a future, created, recreated you in such a way that you can live according to the spirit, not the spirit of the air. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Who wants to wake up tomorrow morning knowing that they are directed by God who has recreated them? Changes the way you wake up, doesn't it? What can be your first prayer? Well, your first prayer can be, thank you for the gift of life. And I surrender this day and my life again to you that you might do your good works through me. Would you show me the things that you've prepared for me this day? Take it a day at a time, people. Take it a day at a time. Surrender your day to the Lord. Surrender each day to the Lord. Let every day be a day that is, a good, that is full of good works that God prepared for you in advance. I want to find them. For me, I'm an adventure kind of guy. I love to find the good things that God has for me. I love finding furniture on the side of the road and going, that's a wreck, but I love it. You know, there are people in your life that are a wreck, but Jesus loves them. There are things that God has for you to create, to do, to change, to provide his justice. I watched this movie last night, uh, yesterday, about the first guy to play American baseball. Uh, his name was Robinson, um, Jackie Robinson, first black man to play. It was nine, eight, 1947, and this man, there was the baseball league was 100% white. 
and the, and the guy of the Brooklyn Dodgers was a Methodist guy who believed that the injustice, these men had come back for fighting for freedom and the home and the brave, and yet half of his, uh, more than half of his fans in the Brooklyn Dodgers were black African-Americans. And there was not one man, black American man, in the, black, in the whole of the, the, the baseball league. And he said, this is not right. Now, he was a bit money-oriented, but under his heart, the reason that he did this, he said later in the movie, he says this. I, had, I, was at, I was at college and one of my friends who was the best baseball player in the college got beaten up, got left out and he said, and I thought I did enough but as I look back I know I didn't. And he said, this is my chance to change things. And he introduced the first black man into and paid a massive price and it made the way for many black American men to come in and take a place in the community and change things and things change. You know what? That's how I see life. I see life as full of these opportunities and I can fear what's ahead of me and I can fear the things that people might come against me if I stand up in the name of Jesus to do or say things. But I believe that's my calling. Our calling is to take on our brave, to take on the courage of God and to do things and to say things and to go into places which are darkness and to reveal his great light. And God has good purposes for all of us and he has got the power and authority to go with you to do those things. So, people, would you stand? I want you to read that with me. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now I'd like you to turn to the persons, persons you're with. And if you've never prayed, that's okay. But just pray that prayer of sending over them today. Just say, I want you to make this a blessing. You are God's workmanship and you were created for good works. Now I send you to do those good works that God's prepared for you in advance. Open And just say, Lord, open their eyes to see what you're doing. Open their ears to hear what you might be saying. Lead them in the ways that they might reveal how good you are to people. Can you pray that for one another? Get into groups of three for bless one another. If you're visiting with us, do it with people you don't know. Welcome them.